You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we were off last week for Thanksgiving. I was out gallivanting all over the Pacific Northwest in some ways it feels like we missed a lot in the mixed martial arts world and in in other ways it doesn't feel like we missed very much at all but we are going to be uh trying to catch up on some stuff this week while also looking ahead to these dueling uh bellator and ufc events coming up this weekend we're going to mix in a little misha tate here during listener mail which by mma standards feels like her loss happened 10 years ago yeah uh, but it's been a while since we spoke. How you doing? How was your holiday? What's your what's your status at this point? Well, my holiday was pretty muted, it seemed, compared to yours. I check out the internet just to see, hey, what's what's old Chad Dundas getting up to over there in Portland? And I see you riding what appears to be like a small mechanical animal. Yeah, that's I think, right. I think, you know what? I see what happened here. Chad Dundas went to the land of the legal dispensaries. Maybe got himself into some gummies, and the next thing you know, he's outside a grocery store on a tiny horse while some five-year-old is like, when am I going to get a turn? What do you have to say for yourself? First of all, it was an elephant. (laughs) Okay. All right. Tiny orange elephant. Second of all, I didn't get to check out as much of the dispensary scene as maybe I would have liked. Uh, Shame. And uh, and can only cop to being stone cold sober in this picture. But yeah, there I am riding a... uh, a tiny orange elephant. We should say it's not as though I was riding some manner of animatronic marvel, right? Like I was like riding a a child's ride that you would find outside the grocery store in like yeah. the 80s. So I don't want people to think that I was, you know, aboard a, a cyborg, a cybernetic elephant just putting it in everybody's face. But yeah, you know, my kids rode it and I, I, I got to ride it, decided the people on Twitter would like to see that. I mean, you weren't wrong. It's good content. No one can argue that. No, I I agree. What what about you? You were just uh, around the house, just you and the dog doing nothing to set the scene for me. You know me, the the kids, the dog, the cat, and this year for Thanksgiving. You know, my opinion that I will stand by is that turkey is trash. Mm. Fuck turkey. Yeah, it's the worst part of Thanksgiving. Ain't no fun. And it's uh, people just do it because they've been programmed to do it at this point. And so freed from society's restrictions, I went ahead and got myself a prime rib. Yeah, that's how you do it right there. Looked up now, a bunch of different on, recipes to, to see how to, how to do it and, and cooked a prime rib for my family. And it was fucking awesome. Missoula's finest purveyor of the prime rib, Diamond Bar Meats, has yeah. locally, recently closed down. Yeah. So where where did you go to get your to get your uh, your prime rib, and what'd you end up doing, uh, recipe wise? I, I went over there to install the big homies at Rose Hours. Okay. They had me covered on the prime rib front, um, and I did like a thing where you make a olive oil, garlic, and several spices kind of mixture, and then rub it all over this motherfucker yeah. and stick it in the oven, and. Let me tell you, you want to make your house smell amazing. Cook a prime rib. Yeah. I'm not going to go quite as hard on the big bird as you did, but I would agree with you that that turkey turkey feels like a vestige of a bygone era. It's trash, like bro. We we were supposed to get excited about the about the turkey, it would be something special for the holidays. I'm not sure it deserves its its top billing. No. Uh, you know, atop the uh the both Thanksgiving and frankly Christmas uh, dinner billing. So yeah, I, I like what you did there. I like that you went a little bit outside the box. I'm going to recommend the same thing around here when Christmas comes around. You know what? If you need a recipe, holla at your boy. I may have to do that. I might have to do that. 
you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper uh don't forget to go out and follow us on instagram over at cme if you nasty and like us on facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event this show drops every monday for free in your timelines and podcast libraries and if you think we're having fun right now, brothers and sisters, you absolutely need to go check us out over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix here on the proper, you can go ahead and check out the Wednesday live chat, the Thursday power hour, and or I'm sorry, the Friday power hour. And Thursday, we got our special show doing the damn thing just for the top tier patrons of the co-main event. This week, Ben, I know you wrote something about it over on uh, comainevent.com. That's up right now. Uh, kids can go check it out there. But we're going to be watching and discussing Halle Berry's new MMA movie, which just dropped on Netflix over the holiday weekend, Bruised. Yeah, have you have you had a chance to check this one out yet? I have not yet, and I got to tell you, after reading your take over on the website, I feel less excited now to go to go watch it. There are some good things about it. I don't want to just shit all over it, but it's not a good movie. I yeah. would say that. Also, I was like 50 minutes into this thing, I hit pause to see how much time is left in it because I felt like I had watched three different movies by then. And I went, oh my God, there's still an hour and 20 minutes to go? What the hell? How, what are we even going to do? So you might want to plan out so that you can watch it in installments if you have to. Because yeah. it's it's going to intentionally and kind of like abusively put you through some things. So prepare yourself for that. So you're telling me it's long and not very good. It's not great. It's just okay. not great, man. And you know what? When you realize, like, Halle Berry does, I guess, a serviceable job, uh, especially for a 55-year-old woman, of looking like an MMA fighter. But you do feel like you're kind of going insane when you are watching her throw punches and kicks. And you're like, this is cardio kickboxing quality striking. And other characters in the movie are looking at each other like, wow, can you believe how good she is? And you're going, mm, I'm like, am I taking crazy pills? And then you, it, it makes sense when you realize, okay, she's closer in age to Burgess Meredith when he played Mickey than she is to Sylvester Stallone when he played Rocky. So bear in mind. Hmm. I'm sure we'll have a rousing discussion about it coming up on Doing the Damn Thing on Thursday. If you want to check that out or any of the other Patreon properties, we do have fun all week long. Head over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Join the team. We have a handy patronage tier for every budget. This week, we got music from CME listener and beloved patron Doug Ty, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. He describes his music as, quote, instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Nice. I think it's pretty cool. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting. Is that, are we to interpret that as like a person who fights spiders or spiders fight like a, a spider fighting league where they fight each other? Hmm. I don't know. That's uh, that's something we could ask Doug Ty about. That I mean, that sounds like something the Trillers would be into. It does. Just bring the biggest spider you got. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out whose spider reigns supreme. And we're going to do it in some sort of weirdly shaped ring type cage deal. Just revolutionize the fighting surface. Yeah. Speaking of which... Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. Let's not tartle in proclaiming the Triller Triangle, the future of human Taramaki. Not just telling Pi about this T-boardy. It could change the whole Terry Bangle. Mike Perry emerged as the new Tantra Bobos, while Frank Mir was left a little toodly-oodly. Thundersmote, a bit thocky, a thumby if you catch my drift. But will this thunderplump lead Triller to the tisty-tosty? Or will we all be waiting for Tibbs Eve before we may tripudiate or declare it twistical? Come ye tug muttons and listen to our tooth music. Did did Lewis Carroll write that intro? I mean, you know, it's a little bit of old English for the people at home. What the fuck even just happened? For the tug muttons. That's who that was for. 
I feel like I slipped into an alternate universe there for just a second. Yeah, we're going to have some dope tooth music coming up for these people to discuss this thunder plump. In round number two, going to finally settle this controversy over the Bellator men's bantamweight title we've all been talking about when Young Surge takes on the Gooch. And in round number three, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font should be a fun one. While Brad Riddell versus Raphael Fazeev and Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill promise violence in their own right. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail comes to us from legendary singer Chris Christofferson. Singer slash actor, I guess I should say. Singer, songwriter, cultural icon. Chris Christopherson. Good to hear from him. Nice of him to check in. He writes, so what's next for Misha? Now see, Chris Christopherson is just on a first name basis. Hell yeah. With of course Misha he would Tate. be. He, he wrote writes, me and Bobby McGee, man. Of course he can, he can call her Misha. He can call her MT if he wants. She struggled with Ketlin, so I think it's safe to say she has no business against the lioness. Do you expect Misha to retire or will she go on and have a few fun fights? Before she hangs him up, like I said before, Ben, back on November 20th, which at this point feels like it was 10 years ago in this sport, Misha Tate conceded a unanimous decision loss to Ketlin Vieira. This was the main event of the UFC fight night that Saturday night. Uh, Misha Tate now drops to one in three in her last four, but those first two, I don't even know if it's fair to count them since they were all of five years ago when she lost to Amanda Nunes and Raquel Pennington. She had taken some time off and made this comeback, defeated Marion Renault back in July via third round TKO and had this fight that was expected to be the second leg of her comeback against Ketlin Vieira. She ends up losing it. Uh, I guess if you're Misha Tate, the good news is you're still Misha Tate, yeah. which is makes you more recognizable and arguably more interesting uh, than than many of the women on the roster, and frankly, a lot of the men as well. And so the UFC is probably going to come knocking for you uh, to have another fight. You will probably get another high level opportunity. You can still continue to talk junk about Aspen Lad over on the socials, and I bet that would uh, continue to raise people's interest in that fight. You and I talked on the Power Hour last week about whether or not Misha Tate had come back to resume her martial times, basically as an attempt to craft an end for her career that felt more of her own making, perhaps, where she felt like she was, you know, the master of her destiny and the person who was going to be ultimately responsible for her wins and losses, and that she wouldn't have... Now, I don't I don't want to impose feelings or or... Uh, you know, project things on Misha Tate, but maybe the way things ended the first time around felt to her like there was a lot of of uh, attention paid to her relationship with Brian Caraway and maybe her being both her boyfriend and her coach had kind of cast a shroud on it. And I think for any athlete, any competitive person, you can understand how they would want to come back and say, okay, I'm going to finish things on my own terms. I'm going to see how I do. Uh, with this different set of of training circumstances around me. And, you know, I'm 35 years old, but I feel like I can still do it. If that's the case, like, I feel like Misha Tate shouldn't be overly discouraged to this loss against Ketlin Vieira. I, I don't think any of us particularly expected her to, like, mess around and win the title in her late 30s. But I don't know. Do you think this casts the... Uh, the future of this comeback in a different light now that we've seen her drop this unanimous decision? Slightly, but only in the sense that it changes our expectations. I think if we're asking what she will want to do, I, I definitely don't think she's going to see that fight and be like, well, okay, that was it. That proved to me I need to go away for good. She did, did not seem to have that outlook on it immediately after the fight. She seemed kind of positive about it. In fact, that she went out there and had fun. And that was always the goal was to go have some fun. And so maybe it just stops us from doing what we were naturally going to do, which is if she wins one, then we start talking about, hey, maybe there's some bullets left in the gun. If she wins two, then we start fantasy matchmaking with uh, Amanda Nunes right away. I think we're, we're going to stop doing that at least for the time being. We're going to be like, okay, that that train is not headed to that station just yet. And instead, I think we're probably going to shift our expectations more toward 
what would be a, some fun matchups for Misha Tate to have? That Aspen Ladd one is definitely one that they could both talk their way into if they so chose. You're right, though, that like the UFC, they made her into a fight night main event here basically on the virtue of name recognition alone. She yeah. used to be a UFC champion. You know who she is. Uh, she's back again. And that's good enough, especially for what we're doing with these fight night events right now. And I don't necessarily think that that has changed. It's just who do you match her up against? Because when you say the UFC is still going to be interested and still giving her some opportunities, that's also the the tough part is that when you are getting by later in your career on name recognition and just that we can put you in there and people recognize you and so it's maybe a reason for them to stay home on Saturday night and watch you. That also can translate to some tough fights, and the UFC can also occasionally look around at the rest of the roster and go, who do we have that's younger with more of a future, with more future possibilities for us to make money off of, that we can get a little bit of a boost by matching her up against Misha Tate? I think to the extent that this loss changes anything, it changes some of those expectations and some of that outlook on everybody's part. Well, and that might be the most important question here, right, for the the immediate future of Misha Tate, and that's who are the fun fights? Who are the fights that you think would be good for Misha Tate to fight, that, for her to take good fights that would be of interest to both the, the promoter and the fans? You know, we mentioned Aspen Ladd. I don't know if you would want to try to do it again, brother with Holly Holm, a.k.a. Holly Holmes, uh, if you were Misha Tate. Is it time for Misha Tate to pull a Derek Lewis and start asking in a loud voice where Ronda's fine ass is at? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, what do you what do you see? Like, what's out there for her at this point? I mean, she could ask, but she's she has about as much chance right now of seeing Ronda Rossi's fine ass as Derek Lewis did back then. So it's not going to work, is what I'm saying. But I do think that the the Aspen Ladd one seems like a very real possibility. It, it seems like the UFC has never been one to waste some heat like that. And where they both are right now, why not? You know, the Holly Holmes one, I mean, I think people would watch it. You could get people interested in it. I just don't know if coming off a loss, if Holly Holmes is going to look at her and be like, okay, that's the one that I want. I guess it depends what Holly Holmes sees for her own career right now. But, uh, you know, Misha Tate went in there. She lost this one, but it's not like she looked bad. It's not like she looked terrible or anything. She can still fight. She could still hang with some of these people. It just, it still feels like in that division, it's Amanda Nunes and everybody else. And this, that has not changed, you know? Yeah. Um, Next question this week comes to us from our guy, the great Dane, who writes, I know we have said this many times over the last few years, but Diego Sanchez, what the fuck? Uh, Diego Sanchez obviously has been in the hospital uh, these last, well, he says 27 days here struggling with uh, COVID-19. He had pneumonia, according to his tweets, blood clots in both his legs. He tweets at one point, day 27, still hospitalized and fighting this COVID pneumonia and blood clots. Thank you for your prayers, world. Uh, he tweets another at another point, this has been the fight of a fighter's life. No fight camp or opponent has dominated me like this. It's been a long fight. Last night, I think I may have won a round with the help of, of my corner. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Mindy Candles prayers lit in the hearts of my loved ones. Uh, he tweets at one point, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, damn it. Just waiting for the best one to arrive. Tech is only advancing at light speeds, right? Uh, so again, what? what? Yeah, well, I mean, with this, these are Diego Sanchez tweets, right? So, uh, okay. So I don't know how much continuity and/or uh, sense I mean, we can we can make out of them, but clearly Diego Sanchez has been has been hit hard with the COVIDs here. The thing about saying like I'm not an anti-vaxer, but I did not get the vaccine. Well, he's waiting for the good one. He's waiting <laughs> for that new new. How will he know? How will he know when the good one is out? Uh, well, I mean, Diego Sanchez might fuck around and wait just long enough, right? It seems like maybe we are going to get a new one here in the next hundred days or so. So, In the uh, meantime, <laughs> maybe get the one that's out there. Here's the thing that I never understand when people, especially like people in the MMA community, are trying to be like, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. You know, it's a variety of the doing my own research 
like thought line. And the thing is like, what, what are you scared is going to happen from the vaccine? How do you talk yourself into being afraid of that when there's not a ton of evidence that there's like widespread problems from the vaccine? You, you were kind of just imagining potential bad stuff that could happen to you from the vaccine while simultaneously ignoring the very well-documented bad stuff that can happen to you from being unvaccinated and catching COVID. Yeah. Like, there's plenty of evidence that that can be very, very bad for you, up to and including killing your ass. And they don't really, they don't want to think about that. They want to imagine all this stuff about the vaccine. And I just, I don't, I don't understand I, how, like, what will be the sign to you we'll know, like, Okay, this is the good one. It's like like the the new Jordans are out. Like how this is the real vaccine. I'll take how how will you know when that moment has arrived? Yeah. Uh and just once again, you know, Diego Sanchez who is obviously as a guy who's had his his problems and taken his lumps and has his own history with with various uh you know, substance abuse issues and everything else, uh but a relatively young man known even in in a sport where everyone is in incredible shape for being in incredible shape at all times and here he is having a tough time with this disease which if you listen to the uh to the naysayers is only going to be a threat to you if you are old or somehow uh infirm in some way and i can i can already hear him lining up lining up out there to to make excuses for why diego sanchez would get would get sick. Oh, his medical history. Oh, his, these guys are opening themselves up to infection with their hard training and their weight cutting and all the other stuff. Man, we don't know. This is just another reminder. We don't know who's going to get sick from this and who's not. There is a lot of uh, statistical evidence to prove that there are people who are more susceptible, but there are cases where we don't know, man. We don't know. We do know that the vaccine improves your odds drastically. That's That has been shown. We also know that some people are going to get through this entire goddamn thing and not learn anything from it. We know that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Diego Sanchez, a good dude every time I've ever talked to him. So yeah. uh, we, hope he's, we hope he gets better. Hope he's all right. Hope he makes a full recovery. Next question this week comes to us from Doug Dixon, who writes, don't know if you gents caught Conor McGregor's recent Twitter AMA. Not sure if this was just full PR image rehabilitation bullshit or what, but it was a nice change from his usual capital, very online stuff. He said he'll be back to training by April and then his return will be quote unquote imminent with him already talking about a Nate trilogy. Look into your crystal balls and predict what we, the fans can realistically expect from a returning McGregor. What do you think, Ben? Which is assuming Conor McGregor returns sometime post spring 2022. What's the first thing you see from him? And what, what's, what's this guy have left? How much is it left in the tank for Conor McGregor in his MMA career here? Well, first of all, before we go reframing it as an, uh, like a kinder, gentler Conor McGregor or anything, he is still doing some Conor McGregor stuff. Um, because at one point, here's what might be kind of my favorite part. Somebody asked him, how do you feel about a fight with Kamaru Usman? His, his response, thought Colby lumped him up nice last fight, finished stronger. Without that second round knockdown, it's Colby's fight, in my opinion. If even still, I see many holes, as well as a suspect dome. I fancy it greatly for the treble. Now, you, you're not going to convince me that Conor McGregor is actually sitting there thinking, yeah, Kamaru Usman, that'd be a good fight for me. I'd be a good matchup, man. Kamaru's lots of holes in him. Yeah, I could, I could take that guy. Like, I don't well, think there's no way he at, believes that. At least that is run of the mill MMA fighter guy on Twitter stuff. At least he's not out here saying Kamar Usman's wife is in his DMs or anything like that. Like this is so you say the bar is pretty low. The bar that's well, fairly a fairly standard fighter response to someone asking them specifically, "How would you feel about a matchup against this person?" Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's just guys 20 and 1 hasn't lost a fight in 8 years has been a pretty dominant welterweight champ at this point and being like, mm, I don't know if he can take a punch, see a lot of holes in the game." Sure you do. Sure you do. Like you're going to go up a welterweight and fight Kamaru Usman. I don't think so, bro. But he, I mean, he also said the thing about how he was going to when he comes back, he's going to be fighting whoever has the lightweight title around their waist. And 
The thing about that is, we both know how possible it is that the UFC is just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring for Conor McGregor's people to be saying he's ready and them to be like, all right, book him a title fight right now. We don't care if it makes sense or not. We're just doing it. Like that is entirely possible. You know that. He knows that. The people know that. And yet I could also see how if you were looking to, you know, just do some stuff, maybe win some fights and make some money, a Nate Diaz trilogy would be your better option. Yeah. Conor McGregor, three and four over the last five years or so, coming off back-to-back TKO losses to Dustin Poirier, the second one, of course, being uh, the leg break, the ugly leg break that he suffered in their most recent fight at UFC 264. Yeah, I know you're telling the truth. I know that the UFC will straight up put this dude in a title fight It has if it has the opportunity. And that is going to be an interesting one to hear them defend. I suppose if it's if it's Dustin Poirier, if he's your champion, maybe you can explain it to me in a way that makes 30% of sense. But if it's anybody else, man, if a Chucky Olive still has the belt around his waist, how are you going to explain that one to me? How are you going to explain a way uh, that we will put Conor McGregor in this title fight, despite the fact that he is technically coming off back-to-back losses to Dustin Poirier? You want to know how? You're going to claim that that Oliveira asked for it. Whether it's true or not, you're going to be like, Chucky Olives asked for this one. He said, give me McGregor. And you know what? This guy, what he's done, I think he deserves to be able to call his shot that way. So we're going to give him what he wants. Boom. I just looked into the fucking future, Chad. I, I gazed into the future and told you what lays ahead. So mark it down. God damn it. That is what they're going to say, isn't it? <laughs> and then we're just going to hope that Charles Oliveira goes along with it and doesn't completely ruin the thing by being like, I don't know, bro. The phone rang and they said Connor. And I was like, okay, fine. Well, he wants to get that money. He wants to get that a pay-per-view uh, buy rate share of the main event mm-hmm. against Connor McGregor. So yeah, he, he probably would ask for it. He probably would go along with that story. There you Damn go. It. You made me feel depressed now. I have uh, gazed into the future. Next question this week comes to us from Jerry from Clowntown. Well, all right. Yeah. He writes, John Jones posted a video of him getting handled on the mats by wrestler Jaden Cox. So I have two questions for you guys. One, what are the odds this camp switch up turns out to be really good for Jones, at least as a fighter in the long run? And two, would some 26-year-old wrestling guy just swoop into... I believe he means MMA and steamroll the so-called greatest of all time. And if so, would that make us all super sad about following a sham sport? I mean, first of all, are we still really calling it a camp switch up? You, well, he's you, over there at Henry Cejudo's place. That's where he's getting the, that's where he's meeting up with these top wrestlers. Okay. But Cejudoville. he said that he's making his new home at the other Jackson Wink branch. Yeah, he's also getting in some work there with the, was it called Fight Ready? Yeah, I mean, the, if if he's, if we're doing a little bit of a walkabout, even if it's just one or two gyms here or there to go and train with some new people, then yeah, sure, like I I could definitely see how that would be good for him. I could see how it it would be an opportunity to him get some good work in. You know, again, I think you're still going to run into the problem a little bit where when you show up places, you're still John Jones and that's, you, you got to kind of be careful about what sort of sparring partners you're going with there because everybody's going to want to make a point against John Jones. But, you know, if he's going out there and he's seeking out different people who are specialists in their field, then sure, I could see how that would be a good thing for him. Uh, I just don't want us to be like, okay, every, it's too easy to buy into this narrative. Like, everything has changed now. He's he's not at the Chili's on Reserve Street. He's at the Chili's out there on Broadway. You know, like, it's just... We we buy into that stuff a little too easily, especially when the fighter kind of sells it to us this way, as John Jones has done with going from one Jackson Wink to the other Jackson Wink. Yeah. The other thing, though, is we talk about practice. You know what I'm saying? Not a game, not a title fight with the lights on and all the everybody can get elbowed and need and they damn heads and everything. We're talking about practice, uh, going out there and getting some work on the mats, like. I think there's lots of people who 
specialists in their field who could go out there and if MMA fighters come and do their specialty with them, that they, you know, they're going to maybe get humbled a little bit. But isn't that also kind of the point? Like that is one of the things about MMA is that you got to bring all your tools with you here. And like that's supposed to be part of the appeal. Yeah. So I don't know. It, 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 I'm not ready to make the leap to be like, okay, this is the whole thing is a sham. <laughs> this 15 second Instagram video <laughs> on John Jones posted on his well, social and jo- media. And John Jones was very complimentary of him. It was be like, you know, he humbled me there, you know, and, and I was shown maybe the, the limits of what I know and what I don't know here. But also, like, that's not the same thing as going out there in a goddamn MMA title fight in the cage and beating John Jones. Yeah. So you're telling me you're not out here calling for us to shut it down on the basis of this <laughs> not video? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. But if you were Jaden Cox, though, maybe you walk away being like, I could take that dude. Under your breath. Real yeah. quiet, like under your breath. I could take that guy. I mean, you are from now until forever, every time John Jones fights on TV, uh, just mumbling to your date next to you about how you totally handed that dude his ass. <laughs> no big yeah, deal. Probably. Probably you are. I think, yeah, well, let's see what the, what happens with John Jones here. Obviously, uh, if he does, in fact, go up, go up to heavyweight, go through with his plans to do that, we're going to be dealing with a lot of unknowns about this guy for the first time in a long time. And maybe like training at some different places will turn out to be beneficial for him. You're right that you're always going to be John Jones, any MMA gym that you walk into. But I can also see how being John Jones specifically at the Jackson Wink Academy in Albuquerque, where you have been for years and years, could lull you into a certain sense of uh, security. Could, could you know, there's going to be a mystique there around John Jones, or, oh, this is how we treat John Jones, or these are the yeah. people that train with John Jones here. And maybe going to a different place and getting out on the mats with this uh, Olympic wrestler guy and, and others of his ilk will, in fact, be good for him, because everybody is going to want to test him. And I think you're right that he probably needs to be careful about who he, he does that stuff with, but, uh, but he also might get pushed in different ways and he might grow from it. I don't know. We'll just have to, we'll have to wait and see. You're big guaranteed. You're going to be at Buffalo wild wings watching John Jones fight for the heavyweight title with a Michelob ultra in your hands being like, Oh yeah, I took, I handled that guy. Yeah, look, I got a video of it on my phone. Let's <laughs> let's watch this together. All right, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. the Trillers did their triad combat thing over the weekend. Uh, Hybrid rule set, basically dirty boxing, I guess, if you want to call it that. It was mostly boxing, but you had some spinning back fists legalized. You had uh, some clinch stuff legalized, half tie plum stuff legalized. Uh, Also took place in the triangular shaped ring. Yeah. The triad. Revolutionizing combat sports. We're supposed to call it. I mean, this whole thing has the vibe of some guys sitting around in a room just being like, oh, what shapes haven't been used yet? <laughs> what shapes is still out there, man? What shape can we get? Yeah. And and even now you got to watch out because you might use a shape that's already somebody else's legal claim to and they might sue your ass for it. Yeah. Especially in MMA. A lot of people out here claiming they own the shapes. <laughs> I mean, you know. The as soon as you see the like I saw Lance Pugmire I think post a cl- like a shot of him like standing there with the the triangular ring, and when you see it in person, like when you see actually like here's what we're actually gonna be dealing with, I feel like you get an instant sense of okay I see why we weren't doing this before. Right, you see you you think you now you know now why traditionally we went with the square, why over hundreds of years of combat sports experience. We did not move in this direction before now. Yeah, I think it was because 
when they developed the Marcus, the Marquess of Queensberry rules mm-hmm. back in what the 1800s, yeah. uh, the, the triangle had not been invented yet. Okay. There was only about two shapes. There was a rectangle and there was a square. And the, so they decided to go with the square for the boxing ring. Yeah. And then, of course, by the advent of MMA, we had more shapes. More shapes had been invented mm-hmm. by the 90s. And that's how we said, oh, the newfangled octagon. Octagons had just come out within the last 20 years. <laughs> and so we were like, let's let's make this new thing, an octagon. We had to wait until the pizza pie had become popular before we could look at it and be like, what about if we just made the ring look like a slice of pizza? Yeah. yeah. What then? You go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for the new shapes to drop, frankly. Uh, see what the what the shapes people come up with next. Yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to the lawsuits over it to see who owns those new shapes. Um, <laughs> but I do. I will say I watched some clips. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't sit down and watch this. I didn't make this my whole evening to yeah, watch no, this triad a, combat. This was a watch the clips kind of event. It, it was for me anyway, and especially after watching this clip of, of Frank Mir, I'm like, what are the odds that the Triller's going to fuck around and get somebody killed? Well, didn't they put Frank Mir out there with like a legitimate heavyweight yeah. boxer, a guy who maybe was a little bit on the old side, but a guy who had fought Anthony Joshua, I think I saw online. I mean, not on the old side compared to Frank Mir. And we also had big damn Mirgliata like standing there watching him like, I don't know. I think he's still breathing. You better hit him again. Yeah, this was a this was a bad a bad thing for Frank Mir. I think I, I was going to say bad look, but I don't want to put any of this on Frank Mir. Like he's just taking the fights that they're offering him. He was in the media the week before talking about how it was going to be a big payday for him. But this, yeah, this was ugly. It was ugly to see Frank Mir uh, stumbling around in the corner, and like you said, Dan Mergliata waiting. Waiting to see, like, if he was just messing with us or something. Right. Well, like, because he gets absolutely blasted and is clearly out on his feet. And then the, the dude throws an uppercut that misses by centimeters and that that may have had disastrous results if it had landed. And then it goes ahead and hits him with a left hand after that that knocks him back into the corner. And even, like, walking in on a wounded Frank Mir as Big Dan is kind of looking at him like, mm, he seems okay to me. And the guy is walking in like... Really? Oh, are you gonna are you gonna make me kill this man? Is that what is that what you intend to do here? And I don't know. That's the, the moment when I kind of see that clip, and I start doing the math. Where Triller is out here, you know, they need some names. They don't kind of they don't discern too much about how old or unfit the names might be for what they're proposing to put them in. They just need the names. And they're willing to pay a whole bunch of money. So a lot of those people who maybe otherwise would be like, mm, I'm not doing this shit anymore, will be convinced to do this shit. And yet also matchup wise, they don't seem overly concerned with like, is this a fair and competitive matchup? It seems like they kind of want some of these clips and don't don't worry that much about how they get there. That's when I start doing the math on all of that and I get a little worried about where we're headed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially because you get Triller throwing out all this money and bragging about how they're throwing out all this money and comparing it to the UFC and saying like, okay, hey, like the, you know, UFC, well, we're going to pay our ushers more than UFC pays their fighters and everything. But if you go and you fuck it up in one way or another, you know, the UFC is going to turn around and use it as evidence to see like, we have the right model. We're doing things right. Therefore, everybody should shut up about fighter pay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there, yeah. And there is some speculation about uh, what Triller's profitability actually is. Like if you're shelling out to have Metallica come in and play multiple songs, I don't know if you remember this from the nineties, Ben, but Metallica is about that money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like you gotta, you gotta assume that they shelled out a a pretty penny just to get those guys, which is, that's a thing you don't even really need, man. Right. Like that's you could do this whole thing. Never breathe a word about Metallica. And nobody would be like, well, where's where's one of the greatest metal bands of all time to perform several (laughs) of their hits as I watch these guys in between fights and fighting in the in the triangle. Uh, You know, Frank Mir said it was going to be the biggest payday of his life. Mike Perry is out here talking about how much money he made in his win. So, yeah, like it remains to be seen if any of this stuff is viable and like. One of the biggest indicators that maybe it's not 
is that we did this triad combat thing in the first place where it's like, man, if things are going great for you and basically your business is a, is an ATM just spitting out money and the Triller office looks like one of those 1980s game shows where they had like the money booth where you just grabbed as much yeah. money as you could while it was blowing around in the air. If that's what your office looked like when you were twil- Triller, would you really be like, what's next? How about a triangle shaped ring? No, you'd be the square ring would have been making you enough money as it is. Unless you got like half off. You could get half off price for the ring because you just cut it down the, you know, you bisected it. What do you, I'm, I'm, I got a third grader, fourth grader. That's what I, do you call that. Cut I the. I mean, I think if you were in the marketplace looking to buy a used ring, it's way easier to find a square one. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think like, you know, you mentioned the Metallica thing. We've mentioned before that red flags for how well your fight promotion is going to last one of the key ones over time has been when you're fucking around too much with the fighting surface and when you're drawing attention to what the fighting surface is rather than what you are actually selling us in terms of the fighting product. Stuff like that, that and hiring old heavy metal bands have typically not been great signs for the long-term health of a fight promotion. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you might have Rampage Jackson versus Shannon Briggs coming up. So you got that to lean on. You can hang your hat on that. And you know what? I hate that that would probably be an actual attention-getting gesture. People would watch that. Yeah. My only question would be, what shape would the ring be? Would you do something special? Would you get a trapezoid out there? Man, you can't be giving these ideas away. That's true. I need to be charging money for the trapezoidal-shaped ring idea. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, well, what you got? What's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? It is, it is relevant to this discussion okay. we've just okay. been having. All right. Here's Rampage Jackson's quote on the whole Triller triad shit to MMA junkie after this thing went down. Quote, it's something new. I think it's here to stay. I think the UFC is going to have, they're going to be worried. I think the UFC is going to be worried about this. I don't know what Dana White's response is going to be. I think the UFC and Bellator should be worried right now, honestly. That's my opinion. Bro. Are you fucking kidding me? The UFC is more and more profitable every year. Insanely profitable. About to make a billion dollars. I don't think they're looking over at the pizza slice and the Metallica thing and the... The thing that is just throwing money around, I don't think they're looking at that and going like, shit, guys, we got a problem. Yeah. I don't think they're thinking that about anything. You don't think uh, Dana White is telling Sean Shelby to bring his reciprocating disc saw uh, to the to the <laughs> next event? Like he's at, you, you know, the, one of those things that where you roll it along and like football coaches use it. It tells you how many uh, how many yards you've traveled. One of those you, things. You know he's, what? He's measuring out the pizza slice <laughs> in the middle of the octagon and trying to get an extension cord long enough so that Shelby can cut that shape out. And I'm not going to say that Scott Coker and Bellator are completely devoid of all worries, but on their list of potential <laughs> worries, this is way down there. Yeah. Way. It, it's like, you know, you... You buy a house and you're worried about, like, how long is the roof's going to last? Is the water here going to go? Are there termites? That kind of thing. Like, way down there, you worry about, like, oh, I hope it's not built on an Indian burial ground or something. I hope it's not haunted. Like, that's the kind, like, way down the list kind of what ifs. That's the level that you might be worried about here with this Triller Triad combat thing. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Dana White's out there like, you guys, what an emergency meeting. Everybody in the conference room. Did you see this shit? Yeah. They've got a triangle out. Why didn't we think of that? Fucking kidding me. Well, Ben, uh, I also have a a cage-shaped, are you fucking kidding me? I'm just going to read this headline. This got to shout out Nolan King over here at the blue corner for MMA Junkie. Here's the, here's the headline. Okay. Smallest MMA cage ever? Two Polish fighters throw down in a nine by nine cage before biting leads to disqualification. Well, that'll happen. 
Yeah, this is out there in Poland. Now, you can watch a video of this fight, but they did bring in a hilariously small rectangular shaped <laughs> cage for these two light heavyweights to fight in. And they did this like after the actual MMA event that they had already had. So when you watch the video, you can see that the tiny cage is on it clearly was inside a regular sized cage mm -hmm. that they had had for the actual fights. It's out there. They got the mat. It's still there. So they bring out this tiny cage just for fun. And then this, you got what you got one guy in black tights and one guy in white tights and the guy in the black tights, he's just kicking that ass. Then he is beating the shit out of this guy in this tiny, tiny cage. So the guy in the white shorts, uh, who starts grabbing the cage a ton, eventually gets taken down in his defense for that as he just hauls off and bites this dude on the shoulder. Well. Hard enough to draw the to draw blood. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> why? I guess why are we even pretending like there's rules? Or why? how are we even pretending like human decency applies anymore when we're bringing out the tiny rectangular cage and having these two elder statesmen fight it fight out there man you fucking kidding me so you're saying that the official dendasso position on biting is that's where you draw a line well i mean just look around what kind of event are you at are two guys fighting in a tiny fucking rectangular shaped cage if so eh, maybe biting is fine <laughs> okay but you know if we're at like a classy black tie yeah. event then you no know biting ball kicks and eye pokes only please Right, yeah, we're going to stick to the classics. Gentlemen. That's right. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, Friday night, I'm thinking that, all right, look, you know where I'm going with this. We also know there's no chance in hell that Chad Dundas is going to be watching Bellator 272 live on Friday night, and we all know why, because the University of Montana Grizzlies are in a goddamn playoff game against the, the Eagles of Eastern Washington on Friday night. However... Over there in the Mohegan Sun Arena, you know, the Bellator stomping grounds, as you well know, the Gooch and your guy Young Surge. Yeah. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. We got belts on the poster here, you know? And honestly, this is one of those fights that occasionally where Bellator serves up where I go, in a just and fair universe, we all get way more hyped for this because it's a pretty good fight. I like, agree. It's a good matchup. Absolutely and yet, agree. And yet, I don't. I, I, it's probably not going to get the attention it deserves, just because that's the way it bees in the MMA world. Yeah, you're probably right about that, and it is a shame that it has to go head to head with the greatest sporting event of the year—the rematch between the Eastern Washington <laughs> Eagles and the Montana Grizzlies in the uh, second round of the football champion sub subdivision playoffs. Uh, but this is a good, it's a good fight. It's a good Bellator card. And again, I'm just going to reiterate for the most part, it's hard to find a difference between the average Bellator card and the average UFC card. Like you could just flip flop these two things. And if you told me that there's some alternate universe where Jose Aldo and Rob Font are about to fight in Bellator and young Serge and, uh, Kyoji Horiguchi are about to fight in the UFC. I believe you. I, yeah. I believe that, mm -hmm. uh, this and especially like this main event where young Serge is going to get the like the first real test of his Bellator bantamweight championship career against Horiguchi, who had previously won the title, but then I believe suffered a knee injury, couldn't defend it, had to go back to Ryzen, ended up relinquishing the uh, the Bellator title, and then uh, they had to have like a uh, a fight to fill the vacant title. And then I believe Juan Archuleta won that. And then Sergio Pettis came in and beat Archuleta and is now the champion. So it's an interesting matchup. There's a lot of uh, uh, interesting storyline stuff going on around it. And, you know, young Serge is out here saying stuff like he feels like he's just babysitting the belt until he defeats Horiguchi, which uh, honest, is, you know? is very honest and commendable from him in saying that. And also, if I was in his camp, I would be like, 
Let's talk about how we phrase that next time we have to do that interview. Because just telling people you're just babysitting the belt does not have a permanent feeling to it. It does not right, feel like you're uh, here for a long time. It feels it, like you're here for a good time. It does effectively, though, establish the stakes. Like, beyond just the obvious, I have this gold belt, and then if if I lose, he will have this gold belt. Like It, it does do a good job, I think, of framing it in a very real way. Here's what we're dealing with here. Like, I'm the champion... But I, there's a part of me kind of feels like maybe that guy has a claim to feel like he's the champion here. We got to fight to settle it. And until I fight and beat that guy, I will not feel right about it or not feel 100% champion-ish. And that, I mean, I appreciate the honesty in that. And also, like, you look at the betting odds here. Uh, Horiguchi comes in as a slight favorite. I think Sergio going off about a uh, plus 150 underdog. And you go, you know what? That seems about right. But it also feels like all that stuff combines to make it exactly the kind of fight for for Sergio Pettis, where if he goes in there and he wins it, then, you know, he's a guy. He is he, absolutely a guy in Bellator, whereas hanging around in the UFC, he would have been an, just another dude. Yeah. And Horiguchi is a guy we should probably talk about more and more often, frankly. Like, this is a dude who put together an exp- an impressive streak of victories like one of the few guys to leave the ufc on a win streak of course we you know most chiefly remember him as as losing to demetrius johnson back in 2015 when they fought for the flyway championship back in a time when uh mighty mouse was beating everybody yeah. back in those days but uh, horaguchi turned around put together a three fight win streak in the ufc then departed went over to Ryzen, didn't lose another fight until he got knocked out by Kaya Sakura uh, when he was returning from that knee injury uh, in 2019 against, uh, or at Ryzen 18, and then uh, came back and avenged that loss a year later. So like, though, like those are Horiguchi's real, like recent career losses. The guy's 29 and three overall. So like, uh, as impressive a bantamweight as you can find out there right now, and a guy who, in and of his his in and of himself, probably deserves more attention. And I don't know if I would expect Sergio Pettis to beat him, frankly. But if he does, that'd be that'd be huge. Maybe one of the questions is: if you're Bellator, what kind of arrangement do you have with Horikuchi? If he becomes your champion, uh, we've recently seen these news reports about how he can split time between. Bellator and Ryzen and all this other stuff, but like I don't know how comfortable are you if you're Scott Coker? Horiguchi is a high profile guy, so you probably like having him as as champion. But uh, you know, there's a chance he's just going to take the belt back over to Japan and be content over there, beating people up. Yeah, but it's not like they're doing so much over there that they could make so much use of his services that you'll never see him again. I, but I get your point. Like you, you might have a some reason as a promoter to feel like it would be awesome for you if Sergio Pettis were to be the one to win it. I, I agree with you. I think it's a tough fight for young Serge. Um, but this is exactly the kind of scenario that Bellator struggles to create in other divisions, but in the lighter weight classes, because there's just so much talent out there, it actually can do this, where yeah. you have two guys who are both really good and legit guys, uh, and it's not just struggling to find somebody to come in there and lose to the champion next. Like this is, this is one of the few divisions where there's, there's just enough people to choose from that you can actually put together an awesome fight like this. The, the challenge is getting people to give it some of their time. Yeah. That's the thing. Like this is a situation where I feel like it's, it would really behoove Bellator to be on a free television network at, in this instance, because like I said, at this point, you can make a good case that these these Bellator events and your your run of the mill UFC fight nights are about comparable in in terms of their actual uh, appeal and their actual like quality. And if Bellator was just out here hanging around for free somewhere on any in any television network, I think you could essentially get away with saying like, "Look, man, like we're putting on shows that are just as good as the UFC shows, and ours are free." Yeah. Whereas the UFC wants you to pay for ESPN plus the thing that at this point is a big sticking point, I think for Bellator is kind of being hidden behind the, the Showtime paywall, which is a shame. And Showtime is a good platform for Bellator, except for the fact that the UFC has taken up so much of everybody's attention and so much of everybody's expendable capital 
that, man, you're asking people to pay more money and have a different thing on their phone or their TV or their computer and spend that extra time to watch Bellator. That, to me, is the toughest sell right now for Bellator. Not necessarily that they don't have the fights, because they do. Uh, It's getting people to watch them because they got to get this different streamer and open the pocketbook again and pay more money. Yeah, and I don't think that Showtime has any uh, new episodes of Gigolos to really sweeten the deal for you, which is, I mean, that's where you're really falling down on the job, I think. Yeah, but but they're on demand, though, right? Like, I mean, Oh, yeah, no, you can find those episodes of Gigolos. So, and you could watch an episode of Gigolos uh, 10 times before you <laughs> the, before you, you find everything, you all the Easter eggs. You can find subtle nuances, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. See, so there you go. Get, come for Bellator, stay to watch Gigolos. Last thing I'll say before we move on, you remember that time when I had one of my Bellator parlay bets or something pulled out from under me when a fight got canceled and I looked at the guy who was just like the biggest favorite on the card and I was like fine I'll bet on him uh and it blew up in my face because it turned out the other guy was the big tuna yeah yeah I did not know that at the time if I had known he was the big tuna obviously I would have bet on him despite him being the biggest underdog on the card I'm just saying here Chad the biggest underdog on this card according to, to bestfightodds.com fellow by the name a Colin Huckbody hmm He's going off at plus 775, Johnny Eblen, his opponent, at a, a, a clean minus 1,000, uh, which right there screams some Bellator matchmaking. But I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. Cullen Huckbody as the biggest underdog? Okay. Huckbody me, man. Does he Absolutely. have a nickname? Or do you not need a nickname when your last name is Huckbody? I mean, well, now we got to figure out if he does have a nickname because Young Huck. Hmm. Young okay. Huck, Cullen Huckbody. I'm in. Young I'm Huck. In. Young Huck. <laughs> right. Coming Good, out of yeah. the lab. And nice. Now we'll all be paying attention to, to, uh, to how that works out for you. Yeah, sure. absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. On Saturday night, the UFC is going to give us Fight Night 199, where Jose Aldo is going to take on Rob Font in your main event. Rob Font kind of quietly rolls into this bantamweight affair on a four-fight win streak. Of course, he uh, won a unanimous decision over Cody Garbrandt in May and Marlon Marais before that in December of 2020. Oh, he also defeated Sergio Pettis, in case you're wondering, Young back Serge. in 2018. Jose Aldo, on the other hand, has a two-fight win streak going. So uh, a couple of bantamweights here who are going to try to keep it rolling. And, and frankly, for Rob Font, not only would this be a big... Uh, high-profile win for him. If you put together a streak that is Marlon Marais, Cody Garbrandt, and Jose Aldo, that's respectable, to yeah. say the least, in this division. Well, especially like this version of Jose Aldo, because we, I think, have both been surprised by how good Jose Aldo has continued to be in this new weight class at his age and his length of time in the game. Usually it doesn't go like that. You know, usually you see a fighter who's been champion and been on the downside of it and then has to drop a weight class and a, and a guy who struggled to make the higher weight class at times. Usually you see that and you go, that's a guy looking for the fighter's false friend because he, he's run out of other options. And instead, you look at him fight these last couple especially and you go, damn, how is he still that good? You know, how has he continued to like evolve and change along with the game and still be that good? To beat that guy right now as part of this streak Rob Vaughn is on, that would be something. That would be the kind of shit that vaults you into a title shot. Yeah. Uh, Jose Aldo, still 35 years old, but these most recent wins over Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz. So nothing to sneeze at there. Uh, We're just kind of setting the table, really, with this uh, UFC Fight Night event because we have UFC 269 coming up on December 11th. But like this card is uh, for a free UFC fight card. It's not too shabby, man. I mentioned in the first half of the show, Brad Riddell and Raphael Fazeev in the co-main at lightweight, a light heavyweight fight with Jimmy Crute taking on Jamal Hill. Also on this card, Clay Guida 
is in the is is appearing on this thing. Coconut bombs, Maki Patolo gonna do his thing uh, on the undercard. So, oh, lest we forget, William Knight. They're tearing William Knight away from the weight room, okay, and bringing him out for UFC 199. So you got to make sure you, you you view that one. But like, if you're a uh, you know, if you're cruising around on the dial Saturday night looking to uh, watch some some MMA on your streamer, uh, UFC Fight Night 199 is not too shabby, man. This is a good free card right here. It, these days when I see Clay Guida keep showing up on a UFC Fight Card, I always feel like that could be just some clever uh, Wikipedia edit fucking with me. You know? like You could just add Clay Guida to kind of almost any card, and I'd be like, really? I mean, I kind of believe you, but I also kind of don't. And yet there he is. Still being Clay Guida after all these years. Ain't shit changed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's, I, I'm not quite as suspicious about it as you are, but well, uh, you I believe a, he's really going to show up. You're. This is how you get taken in by the Wikipedia hucksters is by That's failing true. to be appropriately suspicious. That's true. Uh, Brad Riddell, uh, Raphael Fazib fight is super interesting in my opinion. Uh, Brad Riddell is undefeated still in the UFC and seems like a dude who keeps winning these fights when I have picked against him. And so I'm going to stop doing that. But Raphael Fazib, despite the fact that he lost his UFC debut back in 2019, is is out on a four-fight win streak now. Most recently took care of Bobby Green via unanimous decision uh, back in August and had defeated Hanato Moicano before that. And is a guy that, uh, you know, the UFC is clearly pretty high on and and really values him as kind of like a next-level, next-generation striker coming into this this division. So, like, man, you might as well wind these two guys up and let them go because I think you're going to you're going to have some violence in this fight. And will be another yeah. one where you kind of got to wait and see if Quake Riddell can, uh, can take the hype off another dude. Well, what I hear you saying is that when you say that you're done betting against Brad Riddell is that you're ready to jinx him. <laughs> yeah, that's, I be- fully believe that I probably have that power. Yeah. So I'm excited for that. Uh, Jamal Harris versus uh, Jimmy Crute, which we also talked about. Another one that's probably going to be Jamal a banger. Hill. Yeah. Oh, that's what did I say? Jamal Harris. I have no idea who that even is. Uh, so that's going to be a, uh, a a good one to watch there. Um, do you want to do Just Saying Stuff, or did you have anything you wanted to say about that fight? Uh, I'm ready to move on to Just Saying Stuff. All right, let's go ahead and do Just Saying Stuff this week. Uh, ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, this is a quote from Metallica's Lars Ulrich. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't from, know we were going to get quite this much Metallica talk. From Damon Martin. On this week's, uh, oh man, highlight of Damon Martin's life right there. To get a quote from Lars? You fucking kidding me? Quote, Metallica is by nature a very curious collective and always up for venturing into uncharted territory. So when the opportunity came up to roll back to Dallas and be part of a launching a whole new sport with triad combat, we said, fuck yeah, sign us up for that. Jed, I'm just saying, Lars Ulrich... Not convincing me he is any less of a dick than I always thought he was. Oh, man, that's some just Lars saying. shit right there. That just, that is you, some... just, you sound like an insufferable asshole, Lars Ulrich. So I guess that's in, very much in keeping with how the public views you. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, is that better, though, than saying they paid us a lot of money? Like, No, we're a naturally we curious like, collective. That's what it at is. At first we were like, fuck it, we're not doing that. And then we found out how much they were going to pay us. And, and then, then we, we became a naturally curious collective. We, we decided it was all part of the cosmic gumbo when we were going to, we were in for it. Uh, ben, I'm going to read you this quote from uh, Brandon Moreno. Okay. Talking about Davis and Figueredo. These guys are going to do it again. We're left, left to believe. This is him... Uh, Talking to Ariel Helwani on the MMA Hour this week. Davison Figueredo is my best sponsor ever. I never had another sponsor like Figueredo. He's paying for my house. He's paying for my car. So we can do it again. <laughs> I guess this week I'm just saying, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a that's a good line from Brandon Moreno right there. How has nobody thought of that before? I don't know. This guy's my best sponsor. Paying for my house. Man, how has nobody, like, I feel like someone should have got to this before now. I I, I agree, but it's nothing, so far, nothing not to like about Brandon Moreno, as far as I'm concerned. Just saying. All right, 
that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Remember, we'll be at the Patreon page all week with the Wednesday live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing, Friday power hour. Thanks for listening. But as for right now, we're done. We are through. We are out. Do you think that we are a naturally curious collective? Absolutely. Yes. And our curiosity increases exponentially when, when so does the paycheck. <laughs> Yeah, we get real curious. You add a couple zeros to that thing. I mean, I just would, I would want to be there to see Damon Martin interview Lars Ulrich. Because I bet he was just like, it's a big moment. Big moment for Damon Martin. Yeah, I just would like to live vicariously through his personal joy. Yeah, but do you think he was like, I wish I could have got Hetfield? Oh yeah, everyone. That's, yes. (laughs) No one wants to talk to him.